0: The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com.
1: It is an absolute pleasure to be back with you after a year hiatus. A lot has changed, a lot has been birthing, and we are in a moment of history that is asking us to connect even deeper. I cannot be more excited than to begin again with the guest that I have today, especially with the topic and the book that she is bringing to our world and the deep focus that it allows in terms of connection. From the book, The Sacred Ego, one would never guess the true magnitude of the birthing that's underway. For in our society, the evolution of consciousness, no matter how momentous, is rarely considered newsworthy. But that doesn't mean it isn't real. It is. It's real. It's powerful. And it's growing by leaps and bounds. The shift in human consciousness our planet needs is not just possible. It's already happening. Despite the relentless violence of our species, a huge wave of change is washing over us. We are longing to evolve, ready for it, and capable of it. The human ego is a work of amazing evolutionary genius. To explore its various strata is to go back in time, connecting with the experience of our ancestors through the ages. But to use this complex tool wisely, we need a level of consciousness. At present, we have very little awareness of how our ego functions. We are governed by ancient and unconscious habits that cause us to tap, to tense up when we need to relax, harden when we need to soften, and close down when we need to open up. Now our task is to bring old layers of ego conditioning into conscious awareness so we can sift and sort through them, discarding what no longer serves us and reclaiming what does. If we fail to do this inner work, the old ego-based habits that undermine our capacity for heart thinking will continue to drive us towards self extinction My guest today is Delaja Bonheim. She's an inspiring visionary teacher and a speaker who illuminates our path towards peace, wholeness, and joy. The founder and director of the Institute for Circle Work, she is one of the world's foremost experts in the use of circle gatherings as a tool for healing and empowering women. Her workshops and trainings have changed the lives of thousands of women by connecting them in a spirit of true sisterhood, open-heartedness, and authenticity. Jalaja has mentored hundreds of leaders from around the world and has gathered international acclaim for her groundbreaking work with the Jewish and Palestinian women in the Middle East. Her website is sacredego.com, and the book that we're discussing today is The Sacred Ego, Making Peace with Ourselves and Our World. I'd like to welcome Dr. Jalaja Bonhain to 1111 Talk Radio. Welcome. Thank
2: you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I'm thrilled to have this be
1: the beginning of, of stepping back into 1111 Talk Radio, and it was such a rich reading for me because I so believe in the work of circles. I so much am a part of many circles and see the extensive growth and healing that takes place not only internally with the women that are present, but truly feel and believe that that inner work that takes place within each one of us ripples out in ways in the world uh, that we can't even comprehend at times how we are creating change. So this is a vastly important conversation and a very timely one.
2: Thank you, Simran. I just came from a week-long circle work training with women, and it was, I mean, I just feel so full and nurtured and excited by it. Uh, Even though I've done it hundreds of times, every time I'm just blown away by what happens in these circles and really by the power that we do have to make a difference. And so often, as you know, we feel so powerless and small in the face of everything that's happening in the world, and it's so great to get that reminder that, no, we actually do have tremendous power together. We very much do, and I think
1: for a long time now, we've been having conversations about masculine versus feminine and how the world, and women in particular, need to move more into their truly feminine place, and I'm going to kind of start this conversation uh, a little further along and then move back, um, rather than perhaps in the course of the regular course of the book, because I'd like to discuss one section that you have where it discusses the fear of the feminine, and I think that's a really foundational place to begin, because you list the fear of the feminine manifesting as fear of intimacy, vulnerability, communication, feeling, movement, playfulness, sexuality, ecstasy, loss of control, the unknown, and death. And we do appear to have a society that is very numb to a lot that's going on, and so as simple as these things might appear to be present, they really are complex and not particularly present in the daily life of each one of us. So, Talk a little bit about your perspective on the feminine versus masculine.
2: Yes, I, I, you know, I really think we first thing is to distinguish between women and the feminine. So we are coming out of a 4,000-year period of patriarchy, and patriarchy has divided the universe into masculine and feminine so there are a lot of things that we identify as feminine like the earth for example even though they have no gender at all but we speak of mother earth so that's just one example how we are taught to assign gender to certain things and of course if you are living in a patriarchal world everything that is associated with the feminine is considered inferior and especially for men it's associated with shame and so i come across a lot of both men and women who feel that well you know patriarchy doesn't really apply to me i'm beyond that i i believe in equal rights and so on but then when you dig deeper you realize that we have internalized these beliefs that we don't necessarily recognize as patriarchal, and yet they are. Um, One example is for men, the belief that they should not grieve, that they should not cry, because that is considered feminine. And, you know, as you know, Simran, I work a lot in the Middle East, and the people there have experienced so much trauma, and if they cannot grieve, especially if the men cannot grieve, they stay stuck. They stay stuck in anger, which is permissible for men, and violence. So I think it's so important that we start to look at the feminine not just as something that we as women are connected with but at this whole range of attributes and qualities that in very subtle ways we're all taught to avoid or to associate with weakness. Um, Even we as women, you know, I see it a lot in my circles when women start to open up and that vulnerability starts to emerge, which is such a beautiful thing and such a gift for everyone. But for many women, there's that sense of, oh, my God, this is weakness. And I always say to the women, no, your vulnerability and your courage to share it is tremendous strength. And I think that that is a strength that women in general have a lot of that, that willingness to be authentic, to show up for who they really are, even when that means revealing vulnerability. I wholeheartedly agree
1: and I very much also agree with, uh, how you talk about our training. And, and this goes for both men and women that we're really trained from a young age to think with our mind rather than our heart. And we are, we are kind of socialized into a structure where it is really more about the goal and the project and the end and the attainment rather than the place of presence, and so I'd love to talk a little bit about the foundation of heart thinking versus our training of the mind, and if we can begin there, I I think that that's the perfect start for this conversation.
2: So heart thinking is a kind of thinking where you are still using your mind, so it's not that you're shutting off your mind. But you are using your mind in service of the heart. You know, I sometimes compare to the mind as a little GPS. And when you program your GPS, you tell it where you want to go. You don't let the GPS decide where you're going. And so often we allow our mind to set our goals in life, and it's really not qualified to do that to really set wise goals, we need to connect to our heart. Because the heart, as I see it, it's a go-between, between the mind, the conscious mind, and the soul. So through the heart, we can really connect into what is my real purpose in life? What are my true goals, my deeper goals? And from that place, we can then enlist the mind as our ally, as our helper, to get where we want to go. So the thing I find about heart thinking is that a lot of people in our culture consider it somehow this New Age, woo-woo kind of thing. You know, it's like not practical in the real world. There's this belief that the heart is sentimental and not really clear-sighted. And as someone who has worked in these conflict situations, I find the very opposite to be true. I believe that with the kind of issues that we are now facing on our planet, head thinking is a lost cause. It's not going to get us where we want to go. You know, it's like Einstein said, you can't solve a problem at the level that it was created at. And so many of our problems have been created by that disconnection from the heart. So I believe that to solve them, we need to have the courage to sync with our heart. And I've seen over and over again that it works that our relationships become more harmonious, that we become, you know, more skillful at solving the conflicts that arise, um, because conflicts will arise. That's the nature of things. And actually, a lot of times, conflict is a gift. But we need to be able to approach it from a place of heart-centeredness, because the mind to, will never get us there.
1: Angela did. 2- what, a lot of what has gotten us into that place through what we call mind, that is the part of the ego that really has, has worked on our behalf to the extent that it's just been trying to get our needs met. And, and you describe a lot about how the ego really was just kind of doing its, its job. And, and what, we're, what we're saying is there's a different, there's a different approach for the ego when we, when we move from the ego that's trying to protect itself, save itself, figure out a way uh, to, to stay secure versus the mind that comes from a place that has centered on our true essence and soul of what the heart wants and then figures out a strategy, strategy for reaching those goals.
2: Yeah, you said it really well. You know, so many people I work with, they are spiritual seekers and they have been taught that the ego is somehow a bad thing and we're supposed to get rid of it. We're supposed to be egoless. You know, if you want want to insult someone, you say they have a big ego. And I really feel that the ego is our friend. It's our ally. It was implanted in us by nature to help us survive. So if nature is sacred, so is the ego. But the point that I make in the book is that We have the personal ego, and we also have the collective ego. And the collective ego evolved over thousands and thousands of years. And for 99% of that time, all human beings lived in small tribal groups. So a lot of the ways in which our collective ego is conditioned made total sense in that setting but now you know and really in the blink of an eye we have made that transition from a tribal world into a global world and suddenly those strategies that made sense no longer do and one you know just to give you one example um us versus them thinking and we all do it I've seen, you know, activists, environmental activists do it. We are the good ones. They are the bad ones. It mm-hmm. happens in every war. Um, it happens, you know, Democrats versus Republicans. There's all kinds of ways in which we have these divisions of this is my tribe, and my tribe is good and right, and they are inferior and wrong. And in a global world, That doesn't work. We, you know, we really have become a single tribe and we're not going to survive unless we can approach our challenges, our problems as a single planetary tribe. So our ego, it's not that it's bad. It's not that it's selfish. None of that. It's just that it isn't connected with our current realities. It isn't used to the speed of change. You know, the world formerly changed very slowly from over hundreds of thousands of years. And we have, in the course of just one century, completely transformed the face of the earth. And so now our task is to, to bring our ego up to date and to show it, how can it do its job? which is to protect us, and that is a sacred job. But now, for the ego to protect us, what we need is what I call the planetary ego. It's like the next evolutionary stage of the ego, where we begin to identify as children of planet Earth. So we're still individuals, you know, and we still have our different religious or national affinities. But beyond that, we are children of one planet. And I'd like to go
1: more into that planetary ego um, heartset and mindset as we move into the next section from the book, The Sacred Ego by Jalaja Bonheim. Though I didn't realize it at the time, I had met one of the great loves of my life, the circle, To be in circle was like finding a fresh, cool spring after hours of stumbling through a scorching desert. No matter who the participants were, the circle was a sanctuary filled with gentleness and sweetness. At the same time, it changed and transformed us more than anything else I'd ever experienced. It called forth the best in us while challenging us to expand beyond all limitation." This is from the book, The Sacred Ego, Making Peace with Ourselves and Our World. The author is Jalaja Bonheim, Ph.D., and I invite you to visit her website, thesacredego.com, and find out more about this extraordinary book, in addition to the Institute of Circle Work and all of the work that she is doing on the planet. We are one, and as soon as we learn that we can rise up into something greater than ourselves, we'll discover that the small I is really part of the larger I. We'll be right back with 1111 Talk Radio. The
0: Voice America 7th Wave Channel. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, discovering the heart, and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www1111 magcom 1111mag.com. Why spiritual spelunking? Why tending to our inner garden? Why devoting time to inner being? When so much external doing calls upon us. An Indian sage put it wisely. Your own self-realization is the greatest service you can render the world. Join host Geel Asselin as he serves as both guide and companion on the journey within. Nurturing the spiritual spelunker in all of us can be heard every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. If you'd like to join today's discussion, please call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5795. Again, 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to info at believesc.com. Now back to 1111 Talk Radio with Simran Singh. I'm thrilled
1: to be back with you, back in full force, and you can find out all of my offerings for the planet at imsimran.com. Definitely tap into the television series I'm now also doing to share deeply and intimately the inner work that we are here to do, along with Ongoing weekly conversations on 1111 Talk Radio. My guest today is Dr. Jalaja Bonheim, and she is the author of The Sacred Ego Making Peace with Ourselves and Our World. You can find out more about her at sacredego.com, and you can find out more about her Circle Institute at circleswork.org. Dr. Bonheim teaches circle work, aiming at helping people experience themselves as members of a single family. Buddhism calls it the family of all sentient beings. It teaches them that the skills they need to maintain harmonious relationships. Circle work is a spiritual practice, a form of education, a healing art, and a tool for empowering ourselves as leaders in moral change. Circle work encourages us to slow down, become exquisitely present, and listen deeply. Through its very structure, it ensures that we play, pay close attention to what's going on within and around us. In daily life, we're often distracted. Usually, we don't have time to reflect on our inner process, nor does our environment encourage it. In contrast, circle work creates the ideal environment for us to learn the art of maintaining harmonious relationships with ourselves and with others. Jalaja says, I had a new teacher, the circle. I realize that in the eyes of most, the circle isn't a teacher. It's a geometric form. But to me, it always has been a teacher. I've had many wonderful human teachers and a few four-legged and winged ones. But the circle has been my first and foremost guide, a friend who will accompany me till the day I die. In this, I am by no means alone. Through the ages, many have recognized the circle as a source of sacred presence, intelligence, and wisdom. Definitely connect to this book, The Sacred Ego. It beautifully goes into the power and presence of circles and the ability for us as a single human to really impact our own presence upon the changing world and the healing of this world. Welcome back, Jalaja. I'd love to go back into that distinction between the individual ego and how we move into birthing a planetary ego. And you do discuss in the book the what the ego is and what the ego isn't. So will you speak a little bit about that?
2: Yes. The ego, first of all, it's not our enemy. It's not this terrible spiritual obstacle that it's often made out to be. It really is our ally. It is our friend. However, it is also out of touch with our present needs. So that's really our task, is to help our ego enter the global era and bring it out of that tribal realm in which it lived for so long. Um, so the ego has a collective dimension, it has a personal dimension. And unfortunately, I find that most forms of psychology as well as spirituality in the West focus exclusively on the personal ego. And yet what I have found is that the real obstacles to our harmonious coexistence come not so much from the personal although that is important too but much more from the collective dimension of consciousness i love how you speak about the ego being
1: the na- nature's most loyal and devoted servant and how it really has uh, entrusted our ego with the sacred task of ensuring our survival and then you go on to discuss the three misconceptions of the ego and how it kind of refuses to honor that wisdom of the heart, and that's currently the problem. And, and that problem stems really from relying on outdated information. So let's talk about how we've been, uh, let's say, trained, uh, in some cases brainwashed, in other places conditioned, or are having conformed uh, to beliefs and systems and structures that are really not what our heart wants, but what our thoughts, believe that we have to succumb to. Can you speak a little bit about that? Well,
2: our ego is, as I mentioned, it wants us to survive. It's in service of survival. We sometimes assume that means that the ego is selfish, and that it only cares about our own benefits. I believe that the ego looks for the basic unit of survival in any specific society, and that is what it tries to protect. So if you had lived in an indigenous tribe 10,000 years ago, your basic unit of survival would not have been the individual. It would have been the tribe. And so your ego would have done everything to protect the tribe. Because without the tribe, your personal self had no chance of surviving. So then about 400 years ago, with the Industrial Revolution, we entered into the era of individualism. And so we are all raised to think that the basic unit of our survival is the individual. And so naturally, our ego is looking out for our individual benefits. That's what we have taught it. That's what it believes is the unit of survival. So now we are entering, entering into this period where more and more people are going, wait a second, what about the planet? If the planet does not survive, and we are looking at that very real possibility then all my individual wealth and prestige or everything I have gathered is going to mean nothing. And so more and more of us are beginning to realize that now the unit of survival is the entire planetary community. And so that out of that realization, the planetary ego is being birthed. It is the ego that recognizes that now the, the unit of survival is the entire planetary community. It's a very different way of seeing things. People sometimes mistake it for egolessness. But as I see it, it's not a question of the ego dying at all. It's a question of the ego coming into alignment with the present. And when you look at your ego as a negative thing that you're supposed to get rid of, it's basically a setup for an inner war because then you have a part of yourself that is good and another part of yourself that is bad and you're doing battle internally. So if we really want to experience our own wholeness, we need to realize that every part of us, including our ego, is sacred. We see a lot of things, Jalaja, that are taking place
1: in the world right now. They've been ongoing and they've been increasing, and it has everything to do from race relations to religious differences to outright violent acts that are committed from one human being to another. And probably the thing that's most necessary is compassion at this time. But when there are so many wounded that are not willing to feel even their own pain, how do they recognize the other's pain? And you talk about how we are, the majority is really relationally illiterate and how relational education is going to be that flashlight to really get us to look within, to know our true feelings, but then also be able to openly see what's going on outside, and I loved that whole section of the book. So talk about the elements of relational education and how necessary that is right now.
2: Yeah, it is so necessary. I mean, to me, it is a no-brainer that the one thing every human being is going to need is the knowledge and the skills that enable us to maintain harmonious relationships. That is something every child should be taught and every adult should be taught. And they are not taught at present. And both the kids and the adults have not learned those skills, and they are learnable, they are teachable. So we have this very mistaken notion that somehow in the process of growing up, we are automatically going to learn how to maintain good relationships. You know, and then we wonder why the divorce rate is so high, why there is so much violence. Um, So at some point, I realized that although I had never looked at my circles as educational, they really were. They were providing a kind of education that we so urgently need, and Whenever you look at acts of violence, whether it's between individuals or between groups, nations, you see that there is always a failure, a breakdown of communication, and that if we want to create a more peaceful world, we need to hone our skills in skillful communication. And you see that all kinds of skills that our grandparents and great-grandparents never needed, we do need. First of all, we're living in a world that is so diverse, so we're, we're challenged to communicate with people who are radically different from us, who might not share our culture, our religion, our belief system at all. And how do we communicate with them? We also need to create our intimate relationships basically from scratch. We don't have those clear roles and rules and guidelines that our ancestors had. So all of this is calling for a really sophisticated level of relational skills.
0: And I, I, when I was writing that
2: chapter, Simran, I was so struck by the fact that all the animals that have complex societies have relational education for their young. Well, that you was. You know, tigers have it, lions the... have it, elephants have it. It's, it's a matter of course. And why do we. That was one of we we the um,
1: very interesting uh, pieces of that chapter. Um, it, you know, because we have a lot of elephants in the room, literally, in our societies, in our government, in <laughs> yeah. our politics, and in yeah. that going on. And your mention about the the situation with the elephants in Pillensburg Park was really profound because when we look at um, on on many levels because it mirrors so much of what we're seeing right now too with gun violence and with the youth and whether it is the youth killing or the youth dying and 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 different things that are increasing in terms of crime and I'd love for you to share a little bit about the animals and about the elephants literally in the room <laughs> that uh that are showing us something and showing us how we as a
2: society. Yeah, they were, well, they had transferred a bunch of young male elephants from one park to another um, because of space issues. And then they found that these elephants were going completely berserk, and they were killing these very rare white rhinoceros that were in that park. And so the rangers were trying to figure out what was going on and how they could prevent this from happening. And they realized that in elephant society, it is the matriarchs who provide relational education for the young male elephants. And these young male elephants had been transplanted without receiving that. So they were basically the equivalent of a a street gang or of thugs. They had not received that relational education that they needed. And so their behavior was completely out of sorts with normal elephant behavior. And once the rangers realized this, they brought elder elephants in. And these elder elephants socialized the young ones, and the killing of other animals came to a complete stop. So it was such a beautiful example of how we really need to provide relational education for youth. And if we don't, we should not be surprised when they become violent and destructive.
1: Another another area in our world that truly needs focus and attention is the degree of listening that is present. A lot of people say that they hear what's going on, and they see what's going on, and I think the greatest gift we can give to another individual is to truly see, hear, and acknowledge them. But the type of listening that you're speaking of goes beyond even just words. There's a a true communion that you're talking about when you speak of listening. Mm -hmm. So speak a little bit more about that type of centered listening that is so commonly and beautifully practiced in the art of circle work.
2: Yeah, you know, when you think about a circle, a circle is basically empty space. And I sometimes compare it to an empty bowl. And into that empty bowl... We can lay whatever we want. So when we're in circle, a woman might be laying into that bowl her story, or she might be laying into it an emotion. Whatever it is, our role is not to fix it, uh, not to give advice, but to really hold it, to hold it in that heart space, that place of compassion. And when we do that, we find that our own innate wisdom begins to emerge. So when my pain, my suffering, my confusion, whatever it is, is really being held in that space by my sisters, I begin to realize myself where I need to go, where the path of healing lies. So we don't rely on outer authority figures or outer gurus to, to fix us or tell us what to do. In that space of deep listening, we can really connect with our own soul, our own inner wisdom, um, and we discover where our own authentic path can lie. So that listening is incredibly powerful. And I also find that a lot of women don't really have their voice. A lot of women have not had the opportunity to find their own authentic voice. And so in the circle, in that space where the listening is so reverent and respectful and spacious, they begin to find their own voice, and it's amazing to see how their lives change from that place of really having their voice as women.
1: My guest today is Jalaja Bonheim, and she's the author of The Sacred Ego, Making Peace with Ourselves and Our World. You can find out more about her at sacredego.com. In addition, you can find out more about the Institute of Circle Work and her work with circles at circleswork.org. Thich Nhat Hanh says, Compassionate listening has one purpose, to help the other person suffer less. You have to nourish the awareness that no matter what the other person says, you will keep calm and continue to listen. You do not judge while listening. You keep your compassion alive. The other person may be unjust, may say inaccurate things, blame, attack, or judge, yet you maintain your energy of compassion so that your seed of suffering is not touched. I am Simran, and we'll be right back with 1111 Talk Radio.
0: Tuesday mornings at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. This is the 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. If you'd like to join today's discussion, please call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5795. Again, 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to info at com. Now back to 1111 Talk Radio with Simran Singh. I invite
1: you to visit my website, com and access the 30 Days to Awakening. It is a free 30-day program that allows you to awaken each day with a renewed consciousness to build a new dream, to awaken to your new dream. In addition, if you're not familiar with my writings, You may want to look at conversations with the universe on signs, symbols, and synchronicity, your journey to enlightenment, about reawakening the child within you, and your journey to love, finding the ultimate soulmate, which in the end is yourself. So definitely tap into those works, in addition to the works of my amazing guest, Dr. Jalaja Bonheim, Her book that we're discussing today is The Sacred Ego, Making Peace with Ourselves and Our World. You can find out more about that at sacredego.com. And in addition, she is hosting an amazing uh, experience at Omega Institute. Men and women are included, and it is October 11th through 16th. So you can find out more about that at her website, or you can go to the Omega Institute website. Welcome back, Delaja. I'd love to talk a little bit about where we go from here because so many people uh, feel like they want to be a part of a tribe and and that's been a concept that's being used a lot uh, in marketing. It's about being with your tribe and yet when we look at what the tribal way of being brought to us as a foundation, you talk about um, dismantling some of the lies and dismantling some of the control that the old way of the tribe had on us and moving into what I call more of our fractal family. Talk a little bit about where we need to dismantle the belief addictions and the lives that we've held in order to move into a greater expanse of our collective work rather than just individually clinging to what we feel like we need.
2: Well, I distinguish between tribe and community. So community is something that we all need. We all need a place where we feel we're accepted, where we belong. And we sometimes colloquially say, oh, that's my tribe. Um, Of course, it's not a tribe in the traditional sense. So when you look at traditional tribes thousands of years ago, They were completely homogenous. Everyone had the same language, belief system, religion, appearance, everything. Um, Our communities today are diverse. And often, in order to belong to a tribe, you needed to embrace their belief system so that those beliefs that you held were what marked you as the member of a specific tribe. And you see that today in a lot of religious traditions which came out of the tribal era that to to belong there's a list of beliefs that you are supposed to embrace. So today these new forms of spirituality are evolving that are actually not based on belief systems, but on direct experience, on direct communication with our own soul, with sacred space, not on a belief system. And I think that that's very important because even though, of course, we all have beliefs, and that's fine, but when those beliefs become part of our identity, Then they become divisive, because if you don't share my beliefs, it means you are not one of my tribe. So in the new way of community, we can belong to several communities at once. We can belong to many circles at once. Um, We can be in community with people who have completely different beliefs or religious faith than we do. Um, community, though, is absolutely crucial, and I find that many of the women who come to my circles are starving for community. They might have a lot of acquaintances and friends and family, but many of them do not have a place where that level of total authenticity and intimacy is possible. And we need that. And I think we're sort of in this in-between place where a lot of the old forms of tribal community are crumbling, but the new forms are not yet solid. So depending on where you live, you might have access to a wonderful women's circle, or you might not have access to any women's circle. And so... You know, I say to the women often, you know, if you're experiencing that loneliness, that longing, you're not alone. Many of us are. And it is that longing that is drawing us to explore new ways of creating community, including circle work.
1: Now, we've all experienced acceptance, and we know that it feels good when we have felt that way. But oftentimes, we don't really understand those terms, acceptance or surrender. And you say that acceptance is not the act of resignation, but actually self-empowerment. Talk a little bit about how acceptance is that key to reclaiming our inner sovereignty.
2: It's such a big issue when I work in the Middle East with the women, um, because there is so much trauma in their past. And a lot of times that comes along with the belief that to actually forgive or accept what happened would be a betrayal of one's tribe. And it is such a liberation when the women realize that, no, I am actually setting myself free to respond in a more skillful way to whatever my present challenges are. So I'm not denying the past, but I am not keeping myself bound to it in a way that holds me captive, actually. You know, I heard this wonderful definition once of forgiveness, that forgiveness is letting go of all hope for a better past. Hmm. So... You know, when, when, we're, when we're still stuck in that place of, I can't forgive, I can't accept what happened, we are really just keeping ourselves captive. It, it doesn't serve us at all. And when we can set ourselves free, we can begin to create a different future.
1: You speak a lot about heart courage, and I know that in, in my own experience, especially in the last two years, I have learned that there's really no good in the fight aspect. And I think even in activism or feminism, it is shifting or needing to shift from a place of it being about the fight to being more about the embrace. And, and that's what really resonated to me about your section on heart courage, So when you're talking about heart courage versus physical courage, especially its essentiality in any relationship, um, speak to how that's necessary, not just in this country, but how we view some of these different conflicts in the other parts of the world. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when I look at the Middle East where I work regularly and you look at all the attempts to resolve the conflict through through political negotiation and nothing has worked nothing has worked and i personally believe that the only progress will come by people actually meeting heart to heart person to person because a lot of times There's segregation, so one side is on one, in one area, the other side is completely separated, and that separation allows them to maintain this enemy projection. The minute we meet in that space that is very safe and very respectful, where everyone has a voice, things begin to shift. We begin to realize that we are all human beings, we all love our children, we all want to experience a better future. And out of that place, our hearts begin to open. We might still not agree, but that sense of the other being the enemy completely dissolves. And I've seen it happen over and over again. And I do wish, wherever there are conflicts, that there could be skilled circle leaders and that's one of the reasons i'm so uh passionate about training people to facilitate circles you know if there were places where people could meet and speak their truth and receive that deep compassionate listening so much healing could occur and we know it works. Uh, you know, when you think of the the South, um, South African Truth and Reconciliation Committee um, that was formed at the end of apartheid, where people came and the perpetrators and the victims, and they all had a space to speak their truth. And the healing that came out of that was just extraordinary. Because when you have been wronged, when you've been hurt, the first thing you need is to speak your truth and really be heard. And a lot of people have never received that.
1: Well, I want to thank you, Jalaja, for being on the show and for writing this book. It truly is powerful. For individuals, you can find out more about Jalaja Bonheim at sacredego.com. Definitely get your copy of The Sacred Ego. It is filled with a wealth of information, a new view on how we are to be in the world, moving from the I to the we, and filled with exercises and contemplations and questions that you can carry forward in your own life, amongst your own circles, or in connection to a circle if you're interested in connecting to circleswork.org. There's an exercise here called Our Children's Children. I'll read it to you. Imagine, a thousand years have passed. Humankind has survived. Of course, the world has changed in many ways. Technology looks different. Social structures are different. Most important, the people themselves are different. They are, quite simply, more evolved than we are. To survive, they had to learn to relate in new ways. They had to learn alternatives to judgment, violence, and wealth warfare. They educate their children differently than we did and possess social and relational skills that were still rare in our day and age. Imagine that a young person who lives in the future period is writing a letter to you. In it, he or she explains the differences between the people of the future and those of your present. He or she describes what changes took place, what habits they had to let go of, and what skills they have cultivated. Set your imagination free and write whatever comes to mind without censoring or editing. Just have fun and explore. The more clearly we can see where our evolutionary journey is headed, the more likely we are to complete it successfully. This is from The Sacred Ego by Jalaja Bonheim. We have to recognize that our inner work is the key to social justice, global peace, and ultimately humanity's survival. Today, the transformation of consciousness is no mere personal indulgence or luxury. It is a life-saving medicine for our species. I am Simran Singh. Visit me at IamSimran.com. My guest next week is Kirk Schneider and we will be discussing the polarized mind. Until then, in love, of
0: love, with love, and as love, be well. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel